Hey folks, welcome to episode 132 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray, and this week we're going to have a look at uh, a blog post actually from Lennart Pottering from Red Hat about uh, authenticated boot and disk encryption in Linux, kind of covering, I guess, the lay of the land there and how things have traditionally worked, uh, what some of the shortcomings of that are, and what, I guess, he sees as plans you know, for a way of doing this in the future to remediate some of that. And kind of comparing, I'm going to compare that to, I guess, things that we've got in Ubuntu Core 20 and others, plus uh, the announcement of Ubuntu 14.04 and 16.04 Extended Security Maintenance, uh, getting a few extra years of support there as well. But we will get to those in a bit. Now, we're going to start, as usual, with the weekly roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases on the past week. This week, there were 20 unique CVEs that were addressed. First up, we had an update for SquashFS tools in 16.04 uh, Extended Security Maintenance. Uh, this rolls in fixes for a couple recent vulnerabilities that were found, uh, essentially allowing uh, when you un- uncompress a SquashFS image to overwrite files outside of the working directory. Uh, what that really means, I guess, is if you are doing that as a normal re- user, that could overwrite, say, your bash RC or some other file and then get code execution the next time you go and you know spawn a terminal. Uh, or perhaps you know if you're un- extracting these things as root, it could go and overwrite uh, your etc. password or whatever it really wants and get, again, code execution likely uh, with root privileges as well. So those have been fixed for SquashFS tools in Ubuntu 16.04. Uh, after that was an update for libgcrypt. Um, this is the popular crypto library that in particular in this case is used by OpenPGP. Uh, this was for uh, a couple of vulnerabilities that were found in the Elgamal um, cryptographic algorithm implementation. This is actually, um, I guess, one of the uh, more popular um, public key crypto algorithms. Uh, it's patent free, unlike, say, RSA. And so has seen kind of reasonable adoption, as I say, particularly in OpenPGP. And uh, this is, addresses a couple of vulnerabilities that were found as a result of some researchers from uh, the IBM Research Labs in Europe. Uh, basically, they were looking at um, popular OpenPGP implementations and the use of LGAML within those and kind of found some different vulnerabilities, particularly the way that um, different implementations implemented different options and that kind of thing and they kind of exploit these differences to then mount some timing side channels against it. Uh, This is kind of important because uh, one in six uh, registered OpenPGP keys on the public PGP key servers have an LGAML subkey on them. So, you know, one in six people are likely potentially vulnerable to some type of attack across this. Uh, libgcrypt is not the first time that timing side channels have been I guess found in it Um, some of I guess the more famous ones was actually when the initial flush and reload work Uh, so that's a particular type of timing attack that is done against crypto algorithms Uh, was when that was first developed uh, that was actually against libgcrypt as well Uh, so in this case as I say this attack kind of exploits the idea that different implementations of LGAML uh, work slightly differently they choose different key lengths by default and things like that and so then as a result uh, you know, due to the different time that's taken to you know, do certain operations uh, these attackers are able to infer uh, plain text as a result instead of recover plain text recover key material that kind of thing uh, it was fixed in this case by removing support in libgcrypt for smaller key lengths so that uh, those attacks can't be mounted against it as well as adding uh, exponent blinding and that's the kind of thing where um, the exponent is combined with some randomness to avoid to, to make sure it can't be inferred through timing analysis by basically introducing that randomness and then introducing uh, you know some randomness to the amount of time it takes for different operations to occur so that was fixed for libgcrypt as i say and that goes all the way back to 1604 extended security maintenance plus uh, 1804 and 2004 long-term support releases and the 2104 uh, the current uh, standard support release 
Updates next were for various kernels. Uh, I talked about some of the vulnerabilities in this in previous episodes, so we won't dwell on these too long, but um, the first up was an update for some of the kernels in our 1804 long-term support. This included uh, some fixes for AMD nested virtualization vulnerabilities that I talked about back in the last couple of episodes, actually. So if you want to know more details on those, uh, go have a listen back to that. But basically, if you are running uh, on AMD hardware and you're a virtualization provider or you provide, say, VMs uh, and you're allowing other people to spawn VMs themselves within those, you could have been vulnerable to those. Uh, there was also a couple of other vulnerabilities in the KVM, so that's a virtualization subsystem in the kernel. One of these was a use after free that has been fixed. And finally, an out-of-bounds write in the joystick subsystem uh, that could be mounted via malicious IO control. Uh, this obviously requires a joystick device to be present, so unlikely to affect, I guess, most, uh, particularly servers and that kind of thing. But if you are, say, a desktop machine and you're allowing uh, you know, untrusted people to use it, maybe you've got your kids using your machine and you don't trust them, uh, you know, and they're playing games on it, they could have potentially exploited this uh, you know, to get code execution in a kernel. Uh, and so actually this was pointed out to me not long after I started here at Canonical by um, ex-employee Jamie Strangeboge, who looked out uh, for a lot of the SNAPS work. And so in SNAPS, we divide uh, different permissions into things called interfaces. And we have one for the joystick interface, which allows access to joystick devices. And this isn't auto-connected by default. So if you have a SNAP and it declares the joystick interface and someone installs that SNAP, uh, that won't be auto-connected. Your SNAP application won't get access to the joystick device by default. The user will have to go on automatic or manually grant that themselves should i say and jamie explained to me that's because we want to limit the attack surface here and i kind of said well come on what are the odds of a, a vulnerability in the joystick subsystem and i have now been proved wrong so here we see one a perfect example of that uh, of why i guess uh you know not granting permission by default and kind of having that um principle of least privilege approach is a really good uh, thing to have so yeah thanks jamie Moving on, uh, we had updates as well for um, some other kernels, uh, but they included roughly the same vulnerability that I talked about before. Uh, so that's the AMD nested virtualization and uh, use after free in the CAM, uh, the CAN subsystem, should I say, uh, that I talked about all the way back in episode 121. Um, what else? We've got an update for curl. So three vulnerabilities here for curl back in Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support. I actually talked about these all back in episode 131 when we covered this update for uh, the other releases. So I urge you to check that one out if you want to know more. An update for Qt. Uh, this is the uh, widget and you know desktop environment uh, library. Uh, this is for Qt in Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support. Uh, as I say, two CVEs here and both of these were in the handling of uh, various images. So when trying to render uh, a crafted XBM image, you could trigger an out-of-bounds read so that would likely lead to a crash. Or uh, when rendering a crafted SVG, so basically when doing uh, the path conversion of that, uh, you could get an out-of-bounds write, so you could possibly get code execution as well there within Qt. An update for Python for both of our extended security maintenance releases. This is 1404 and 1604 extended security maintenance. Two different vulnerabilities were rolled into this one. The first of those was uh, REDOS, so that's a regular expression denial of service attack against a regular expression that is used for handling um, the responses sent from a HTTP server when doing basic authorization. In this case, they could send a crafted response that was then that then would try to be matched by this regular expression, uh, would chew up a lot of CPU usage trying to you know, match that, and as a result, you get denial of service against the client. That was fixed by just using a more simpler regex to match that. 
As well, uh, another case of a malicious server could trigger this against a client, but they could make the client uh, sort of hang forever. Uh, you, they could send a one the HTTP response 100, which is a continue. Uh, the client would then sit there trying to read more data, but the server, if it chose to never send it, it would never get it would never be received, and so the client would just sit there waiting forever, uh, even if you would even specify a timeout in the client as well. So that has been fixed as well. So if you are, I guess, using Python to you know use requests from a random malicious service, you're a bit safer now. Uh, an update for libtiff. This is the uh, C library for handling TIFF images, the kind of vulnerabilities we see here all the time. Uh, another buffer overflow here through a crafted TIFF file. And an update for curl for our extended security maintenance releases, uh, 4.04 and 6.04 extended security maintenance. In this case, this was a regression that was caused uh, through a mistake when backporting the original patch. That would then cause uh, start TLS uh, connections to fail when used for SMTP. So if you are using curl to uh, you know, do S to do mail, uh, deliver your mail and try to do uh, start TLS as a result, uh, that would have uh, failed. Uh, thanks to uh, a user on the Ubuntu forums for actually mentioning that. Uh, note though that we don't generally browse the forums looking for issues. Uh, next time, please file a bug in Launchpad directly so that uh, we can be notified of these sorts of things uh, you know, in a more timely manner. All right, uh, that is it for the week in security updates. So something I wanted to have a look at here, I've got a link in the show notes to the original blog post, but uh, Leonard Pottering from uh, Red Hat, uh, probably most people will have heard about him. He's quite a prolific software engineer, has brought things like uh, Pulse Audio and then SystemD uh, to the Linux world, uh, both a controversial engineer, but obviously very, uh, very skilled software engineer, but has uh, you know quite opinionated views on how certain things should work. Uh, SystemD, I guess, as everyone knows, has kind of come, become the, not just de facto, but kind of ever-growing uh, init system that replaces the traditional system five uh, init scripts and that kind of thing. Uh, but it's slowly accreting more and more features. And in this case, Lennart's talking about how, I guess it can help do uh, authenticated uh, and, and authenticated encrypted uh, boot, authenticated uh, encrypted disk. Let's try that again. Talking about how uh, systemd can help with authenticated disk encryption on Linux. So traditionally on Linux, uh, the disk encryption is done with Lux. Uh, that then allows you, say, to encrypt you know, the entire root file system. Uh, you can unlock that uh, with a passphrase that gets prompted for at boot. But uh, that is done through the uh, inner RAMFS, the inner RD, which itself is not authenticated. So that then means that if someone were to get physical access to your machine or maybe remote access and they had root privileges, they could replace the inner RD with one of their own crafting that, say, had a backdoor that uh, you know, captured the passphrases you typed it in to unlock your disk and therefore get, you know, uh, be able to unlock your disk whenever they wanted to after that. So the way you fix this is by doing authentication of the inner RD. You want to make sure it's cryptographically authenticated, like say the disk images. Um, and ideally you do that through um, hardware backing with a TPM so that you only then can um, unlock, say the disk when everything has been authenticated and is in the right state. And so, yeah, Lennart's post goes on to kind of detail how you can put these things together, I guess at a high level, but then also how, say, systemd could be used to do that. It's got various components nowadays where you can in, uh, integrate it with things like DM Verity and the like to actually do the disk uh, verification, as well as, say, systemd homed to do automatic per-user home directory encryption that uses your own login password and that kind of thing to do the encryption. But again, uh, kind of being this sort of systemd world-centric view, it has kind of quite specific views on it, like things like, say, slash user wouldn't be encrypted, it would just be authenticated, but then you would go and encrypt, uh, say, etc. Et and slash var and have those authenticated and encrypted. 
Whereas I guess in the traditional uh, disk encryption world, you know, the whole root file system is encrypted. Uh, so I guess you know, that change is something that was quite big you know, to propose that. So not only does he want to change how things are, say, authenticated, but also to change the way that encryption is done. I kind of think that, um, you know, if we're proposing this, I think instead, you know, an approach that is it kind of takes this more traditional view where let's say go and just, you still use full disk encryption, so encrypt the entire disk, but then use the TPM to do the authentication of that and the inner RD would be a better approach. Uh, you know, that is the kind of approach that we've actually taken in Ubuntu Core 20. So that uses uh, the TPM to uh, authenticate the, um, the, boot, the various boot components, so in you know, a kernel and bootloader, and the inner RD, and then you know can unlock the disk automatically by extracting essentially the key through the TPM, so that you never have to even type a passphrase. And obviously, that's really useful on Ubuntu Core, which is often used for IoT devices, where clearly you don't have a human operator there to go and unlock the disk for you. Uh, this is a kind of feature, I guess, that a lot of people have wanted to often bring to Linux, but is hard because traditionally the inner RD isn't a static thing. It is actually generated on your machine when, say, you install a new kernel. Uh, you know, the kernel modules then get packaged up into the inner RD so they can be used, say, to you know to be able to access your disk file systems and all that kind of thing. The next boot, so you can't say have a statically signed inner RD that's shipped by, in this case, Canonical. You'd actually have to have the user kind of sign their own and have those keys loaded as part of. Uh, the UEFI um, boot protocol. So it all gets a little trickier there uh, in that case. But in, say, Ubuntu Core 20, where you know, the inner RD is not generated on the device, it's shipped by Canonical, we can do that uh, more easily. And uh, Chris Coulson and our team has done a lot of work uh, looking at that and kind of making that all work really nicely. So if you want to get, I guess, a good idea of how that can be done, Ubuntu Core 20 is a good, uh, a good starting point for that. But it's obviously not the uh, kind of general purpose operating system that Ubuntu traditionally is. So yeah, it would be interesting to see, I guess, if um, Red Hat are able to bring some of this to light, you know, some of these plans that Linux has and kind of how that may actually pan out in the more traditional Linux distro space rather than the more kind of um, uh, specific purpose devices that Ubuntu Core is designed for. Uh, okay, the other thing that I wanted to mention in this week's episode is the recent announcement that uh, extended security maintenance support for Ubuntu uh, 14.04 and 16.04 has now been extended. So is this extended extended security maintenance? I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, instead of the uh, initial three years of extended security maintenance, this has now been extended to five years, which means that both of these releases uh, have now got so 10 years of support from their initial release. That is, they were each supported for five years as a long-term support release, and now they have five years of ESM. That means that, say, for um, 14.04, the uh, original end date for that was going to be uh, in uh, next year, April 2022, but that's now April 2024. And uh, for Xenial Xerus, the 16.04 release, that's now in 2026. So if you are using those releases uh, as part of ESM, you've now got some extra time uh, up your sleeve to plan your upgrades and that kind of thing. You will be getting uh, security fixes for high and critical uh, CVEs. Uh, as, as we've deemed through our priority rating uh, for you. So yeah, you can use that extra time to plan your upgrades, but I urge you uh, that you know, you're not um, getting this. I, but I urge you still to uh, upgrade to one of the LTSs when you can, uh, because that will give you, I guess, more, a, even longer time. So with Ubuntu uh, 18.04, there's a 10 year support period as well. So that goes all the way through to 2028 or the more recent 20.04 that goes all the way through to 2030. So yeah, if you want, I guess, even more uh, long time frame for your supported releases, uh, check out one of those later releases. 
All right, uh, the other thing I just want to cover quickly as always is the open positions that we have on the team. Uh, we still have an open position on our certifications team for a Linux cryptography and security engineer. Uh, as well on our uh, kind of distro generalist team, we have a position for a security engineer or a generalist as we call them. Uh, I've got links to both of those in the show notes as well. This week, there's a new position for a security product manager at Canonical, helping to kind of define, I guess, the security products and uh, how that will all work and working with the engineering teams and marketing teams and all that cool stuff. So yeah, I've got a link to all of those in the show notes. Uh, all of those are remote positions so you can work from home uh, helping your favorite operating system be as secure as possible so i urge you to check those out and apply okay that takes us to the end of this week's episode if you want to get in contact with the team as usual you can email us at securityubuntu.com we are in the ubuntu security channel on libera.chat the irc network and we're on twitter at ubuntu underscore sec as well Thanks, everyone, for listening again for another week. I will be back again with you all next week to do this again. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye.